Welcome, listeners, to the Braden Heidner Low podcast series. I'm Scott Heidner, and uh, very excited. My guest today is singer songwriter and Powder River Records recording artist Ned Ledoux, and we're recording here in the BHL office. Ned, welcome, and thanks so much for coming. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, this will be fun. We've been excited about it. Uh, I've liked your music for a long time, and uh, in anticipation of you coming and talking to the folks here at the office, I've actually uncovered a couple of other folks that do, too. So yeah. uh, we've been excited to have you in. This is awesome. Yeah, Good view, too. Yeah. So we're for <laughs> listeners, we're sitting in the conference room here at our BHL office, and Ned's looking right out the window at the Kansas Capitol on a beautiful day in late January, clear skies. Uh, it is. I try to remember to be yeah. thankful for the view here at work. <laughs> well, what we plan to do today, Ned, we want to talk a little bit about um, your childhood and your background and how you found your way from Wyoming to Kansas, uh, and then definitely want to talk a lot about your recording, what you've done up to now and what the future holds um but uh you know got to start at the beginning a lot of our listeners will know but for those that don't um i mean you're no other way to say it you're from country western music royalty chris ledoux was your father Mm -hmm. and uh for any listeners that might not know chris um just an incredibly talented man you know he's a world champion uh rodeo cowboy um sculptor which a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know yeah. and uh you know most famous for his music over 30 albums and according to my wikipedia research yeah. over six million albums sold and, and that's like your that. dad yeah uh so when you grow up in a house you know chris ledoux your <clears> dad do, do you have a a sense of him being famous or is that just dad yeah it was just dad to me uh but yeah you know i've told some people that you know, uh, you might be a fan of Chris Ledoux because of his rodeo. Um, you might know him as, you know, the great singer-songwriter. And in my opinion, I think he put the best show on in the business, you know. Uh, but, yeah, but for me, you know, he was just dad. And, uh, but, yeah, I learned a lot from him. Uh, him and my mom both, you know, they're they're my heroes, you know. And everything that they taught me growing up, uh, you know, I still carry on to this day and and some stuff didn't really make sense when i was a kid but now that i got kids of my own now it's starting to make sense (laughs) funny how that works yeah yeah so yeah uh that is too cool i didn't tell you we were visiting earlier and i completely forgot to tell you but when i was in college i dj'd at a country bar um douglas county right down the road here and the bar owner brought your dad in to do a show at the fairgrounds um and i got to introduce him oh really yeah just because i worked at the bar you know yeah yeah i got to be the guy you know ladies and gentlemen (laughs) capital recording artist whatever i was was totally geeked out that was a highlight yeah so do you remember your dad he's such a good writer um did he write privately for the most part or do you remember walking around and seeing him with a notepad and creating music there or did you mostly just hear it when it came out yeah most of the time he would he did everything on his own you know he might drive up to the hills and you know, park the truck up there and sit on the tailgate and just look at the mountains, you know, and try to write something. And I know that with songwriting, he, he wrote a lot of his own stuff, but he also recorded a lot of other people's stuff as well. Uh, like this Cowboy's Hat, you would think he would have wrote that song, mm-hmm. but he didn't. But he definitely made it his own. Uh, a guy named Jake Brooks wrote that one. Um, but he did get to a, a point, I think the last album where he wrote, every song was the powder river album 
And uh, there were songs like uh, Homegrown Western Saturday Night. Um, I see uh, Sons of the Pioneers was on there, Song of the Yukon Rose. Uh, but then after that, I think he put all the his ideas of songs away. Because then he had he got a record deal, and so he had all these other songwriters pitching him stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was really picky on what songs to record when they were somebody else's. And you might go into his office, and there'd be a, a little stack of good, you know, maybe <laughs> six or seven CDs. And there'd be another little stack, maybe four or five, that said maybe. And then the big pile was on the floor, <laughs> labeled trash. <laughs> uh, but he listened to everything from front to back, you know. Yeah. He gave everything its due time. Um, did, yeah. he, did he ever ask your opinion? Like, hey, Ned, come in, tell me what you think of this song. Do you like there it? There was, I think, probably one of the last songs he wrote uh, was called Stampede. And I remember he brought me and my older brother into the office and he said yeah i just finished this song and he yeah he pulled out his guitar and played it for us and me and my brother were looking at each other man this is if don't, this don't paint a picture i don't know what does because just yeah just about being stampeded by cattle and yeah and then waking up on the ground it's like oh it was just a dream but then the ground starts rumbling it's like no there's willie he's hollering stampede you know so uh but i remember that too cool you know because i'm sure you do too you know you think of your musical heroes and your favorite songs and you think oh man what would you have given to be there when that song was being written yeah and to actually have that experience with your dad that's just awesome yeah and and i'm sure we'll probably talk about it later but you know he left behind what i like to call the shoe box full of thoughts and it's just this cardboard box and there's just little just a little chicken scratch in there, just handwritten stuff that was started but never was finished. Yeah. And so that's when uh, I started kind of getting into songwriting, just kind of looking through some of Dad's stuff and just trying to finish a couple of them. You know, my mom let me look through it, and she's like, yeah, you can do whatever you want with it. Otherwise, it's just going to sit in the attic and collect dust. Man, that is yeah. too cool. Yeah. Do you ever watch, um, I don't know if it's, which TV network is on, but uh, Whispering Bill Anderson, the songwriter, has a show where he brings the songwriters oh, yeah. in the round. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He tells a story on there. You talk about your dad's shoebox. Um, he tells a story on there that it, it's just tragic. It really is. Uh, one of the greatest writers in country music history, you know, the stuff he recorded tended to be quirky, but what he wrote was amazing, was Roger Miller. And I'm sure uh, you're... Yeah. Mm-hmm. A fan and know all that. Um, Whispering Bill tells the story that uh, Roger Miller's widow, and of course Roger also passed away terribly young. You know what a talent mm-hmm. we lost. And Bill Anderson tells a story of Roger's widow saying, "Yeah, I found a shoebox, literally a shoebox, overflowing with scraps and napkins and such." Yeah. And Bill said, what'd you do with it? She said, well, I threw it away. Oh, no. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, can you imagine the genius? Yeah. Just, Holy cow. And so thank God your mom kept that and shared that with you from your dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the neat thing, it's it's all handwritten, you know. And it was way before everybody had that device in their hand that they can't leave yeah. without, you know. And, and yeah, it was just little little snippets of this and that. And 
and I'm starting to get a pretty good collection of that sort of stuff in my house. I got boarding passes and gas receipts with <laughs> ideas written down. And my phone's overflowing with ideas. And yep. if I can just figure out a way to organize it or yeah. just finish the things, I just try to do that. So I used to keep writing snippets on my phone, and then they'd sit for too long. So then I thought, well, if I email it to myself and it's in my inbox, then I'll you know, I'll take some action so it doesn't sit there too long and it doesn't work either. Now I've just got an email inbox full of yeah. <laughs> fragments and hooks. and Yeah, I like to write it down on, on paper. Yeah. And then, you know, I go down in my basement and I got this bar, which has no liquor in it ever. <laughs> but, you know, it's just a place to sit and put all that paperwork out on, on the top and sit with my guitar and just try to, just to see it in front of me instead of scrolling through. It's It's kind of hard to do that when you're, playing guitar too it is yeah and yeah you can't write a whole song on a phone um but man if you come up you're just sitting in a line or something and you get that one idea yeah you just got to get that down you uh-huh. know and you can come back to it later yeah uh well i want to talk a lot about your writing and your style and how you got into it but um let me wrap up talking about your dad with this so i've loved your dad's music forever and i've covered his songs god we used to do you know this cowboy's hat and hooked on an eight second ride and cowboys like a little rock and roll and but doing a lot of research for this um in anticipation of you coming and i want to read you something you've probably heard it before but i found it out there on the internet and for all of your dad's accolades i thought this was about as cool as anything i've learned it's a garth brooks quote about Mm. your dad and he said and i quote um Chris Ledoux was exactly as our heroes are supposed to be. He was a man's man, and he was a good friend. Man, that's pretty good. Isn't that? Had uh, you ever heard that before? I might have seen that somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, Garth has always been, you know, I remember Dad did an interview on CMT or something like that years ago, and he said, yeah, Garth's always kind of been this guardian angel in a way. You know, he's always there to help out and, and just – all of his support over the years. I mean, just dating back to that that song, much too young to feel this damn old, mm-hmm. you know, including Dad's name in it, and and then just from that point on, they got to be pretty good friends. And and it wasn't like Garth would come out to the ranch and work cows or anything like right. that. It was just a phone call and and maybe see each other on the road somewhere. Uh, and yeah, and and we've had the opportunity to open up for Garth uh, twice. And we opened up for him in Nashville. Oh, year and a half, maybe two years ago. And then recently in Indianapolis at the Lucas, Lucas Oil Stadium where the Colts play for the, oh, wow. the big FFA convention. Yeah. And and I remember walking into that place and thinking, holy cow, this place is huge. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you pull into downtown Indianapolis, that's the first thing you see. And the only thing you really see is like a giant barn. And, and there's like maybe 65,000 people in there you know but it, the thing that was really cool i mean yeah it was awesome to open up for garth but to perform in front of the ffa kids that yeah. was a real treat and i hung around for the next day and did some more private stuff with them and uh yeah that's a good segue i was just going to switch over to so you grew up in wyoming um tell us a little bit about the childhood farming ranching crops livestock what'd you do i mean i, I assume you weren't sitting in a suburb you know no uh yeah our ranch uh is just outside of kc wyoming and the population of kc is like 200 and 
65, I think. <laughs> and I graduated with 12, so I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you make the basketball team? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the coach was like, come on, we need more guys. <laughs> so there's no problem on making the team as long as you could wear the uniform. As long as you could fog a mirror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was it was great growing up on the ranch. Yeah. Uh, and my granddad, he's my, my mom's dad, um, he was a big influence on me. And he was the one who kind of taught me how to, you know, drive a tractor and irrigate and work cows and build fence. And and uh, actually, I wrote a song. It's called Worth It. And I didn't really have him in mind. Um, but as I was, I was playing it last night, just trying to get comfortable with it, and I was I kind of realized, like, I think I just wrote a song for my granddad, you know, because just being a, a guy on the ranch and, uh, you know, just doing that day in, day out, you know, there's no vacation, there's no retirement plan. And that's what he would always say, you know, he'd have somebody come to town. And I said, so what's he do? He goes, oh, he's retired. <laughs> I said, what's that mean? He said, hell if I know. <laughs> So what do you do when you retire? I don't know, but it's not for me. Because <laughs> that's something ranchers or farmers, you don't really retire. Right. You, know? you just keep going. Said so. it with disdain. Uh-huh. One of those people, yeah. retirees. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> uh, well, so you musically, um, you know, your dad was a guitar player and singer and harmonica player too, right? He did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you fell in love with drums. How old yeah. were you when you started playing? Boy, I was five or six, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I I still remember the day that the drum set showed up to the house. And why we ended up with some drums, I still don't know how that happened. But but the house that we used to live in on the ranch uh, had this big picture window. And there's this long dirt road driveway you know, that led up to the main highway. And so you could see people pulling into the place from quite a ways out. And I remember looking out the window and seeing this car slow down on the highway, and they turned into the place, and and I hollered to Mom. I said, somebody's coming. And so they went outside, and they greeted him, and uh, opened up the trunk and started unloading this blue sparkle drum set. And it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. I was like five or six years old. And so they set him up in the storage room downstairs, and Dad just said, well, yeah, here's some drums if you kids want to play them. And so I was the first one to jump in there. And and I'd race home from school every day and go down there and, and you know, just try to beat my siblings to it. <laughs> and, uh, and my mom and dad could see that I was really interested in wanting to learn. And so they found a drum teacher who lived in Casper, Wyoming. And so from from the front door to where I took lessons was about 70 miles. And bless my mom's heart, she drove me in there every Saturday for about two years, depending on the road conditions. Right. And uh, I would take a 30 to 45-minute drum lesson, and then we'd drive back home, and I'd go back into the basement and try (laughs) to remember what I'd learned, you know. But (laughs) just learned all the basic fundamentals. I had a great teacher, and then he eventually moved away because he was in a band himself, and they just got too busy to where he couldn't give lessons anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I just, I'd go around the house and, and gather up different cassette tapes and stuff. And I had a little stereo, some headphones, and just try to learn as much as I could. And wasn't really paying attention to lyrics. It was just that drum part, you yeah. know. 
So who are the, uh, so my brother and I also grew up playing drums. And by the way, what in the hell were our parents thinking bringing a drum set into the house? Because you know they never got, I mean, you know it because you did it. They never had a moment's peace again after that. Peace and quiet was. Well, the first thing that dad did, I still remember this, he was taking all the heads off. And stuffing the drums full of newspaper. Yep, or pillows. One or, or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put yeah. some pillows in the kick drum. Yep. <laughs> and I wish I didn't care. You know, I was like, maybe that'll make them sound better. You know, I didn't know any better anyway. But <laughs> so, and we did the same thing. I'm sure you did too. I'd have the headphones with a long cord over to the stereo, so mm-hmm. you could play with your music. What? Uh, I mean, we, even though we were a definitely a classic country household, my brother and I, you know, we. We wanted to play with ACDC and Rush and whatever. Yeah. What what were your practice jams that you always wanted to learn? A lot of the same. Um, as far as the music that I I guess I kind of grew up with, it was a mix between, you know, cowboy songs and rock and roll. Uh, I always thought that would make a really good football team, cowboys and, and heavy metal guys. Heck, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, well, my older brother – he was re- he is kind of the one who introduced me to rock and roll because he would go into Casper and see all these rock bands come in there, you know, groups like Motley Crue and Cinderella and Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, and he would then he'd go to the store and buy their cassette and bring it home and and he'd sit in the bedroom with me. He's like, yeah, I just saw these guys and he's he, he played the music for me and then he'd describe what the show was about and and I was like, well, what what did the drummer do? I mean, what what's his setup like? And so I'd listen to all that stuff and try to learn it all. And so some of my big influences growing up were always drummers. Mm-hmm. And so some of my favorites were Alex Van Halen, Tommy Lee, and then Jack Gavin, who played drums for Charlie Daniels for a long time. Yeah. And then, of course, my dad's drummer, K.W. Turnbow. So so Gavin and Charlie, that man is spoiled rotten on drummers. So we had him first yeah. and then uh, Pat McDonald. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Pat or not. Yeah. Uh, man, the first time I saw him playing drums with Charlie, man, I had an out-of-body experience. <laughs> I mean, he's like John Bonham without the drugs. Yeah, uh, yeah. That guy, oh, he's a beast. I know. Well, Jack, I think he started with Charlie in 80, 82, maybe, 83. And I remember seeing him in Casper at the event center, and – He's not real big. He's like five four maybe, but he plays like he's ten feet tall yeah. and just bangs the hell out of those <laughs> drums, you know. <laughs> and that's what I loved about him because I, when I watch a drummer, I don't want to see somebody just back there. Yep, going through the motions. Yep. I wish I was somewhere else, you know. I want to see somebody who's happy to be there and yeah, playing like it could be their their last show. You yeah, know? Charlie. Uh, I'm sure it's no accident, but he always gets guys that just rock yeah his whole band has always been just some of the best musicians on the road yeah and doesn't have anything to do with anything but i always thought it was cool too his songwriting uh charlie daniels to my knowledge doesn't have any solo songwriting credits everything is credited to the charlie daniels band Mm -hmm. i mean they write as a group and how unique and cool is that yeah and i got to be pretty good friends with jack uh you know a few years ago i lived in nashville for about two or three years and and uh, got connected with him, and, and he had me over for supper one night, and he was showing me his studio downstairs, and we, we walked down the stairs, and he's got all the plaques on his on his wall of, you know, 
records sold with Charlie, and yeah. and his name is right there. Everybody that's in the band is credited as part of that song. You Too know? cool. Yeah. It's no wonder they were so tight for so many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, did you have the, the same struggles as us common folk? I don't want to call them struggles. That's a terrible thing to say. It was an awesome opportunity, but did you... Uh, uh, <coughs> Like the rest of us, did you do the circuit of the fraternals and the local bars, you know, the VFWs and the American Legions when you started playing music with bands? Yeah. Well, the first band I was in, I think I joined them when I was in junior high, and it was based out of KC, Wyoming. And everybody had more important things to do, you know, whether it was ranching or driving a truck. And, of course, I was still in school, and I was involved in sports. And so we we might have played 10 gigs a year mm-hmm. and that was the group that introduced me to the term gig because i remember when they asked me to join the band i said well man i'm excited when's our next concert <laughs> and, <laughs> and they all just looked at each other and rolled their eyes I said, well ned we don't we don't play concerts <laughs> i said well, what's the difference because well, well we play gigs i said well what's the, di- the difference though as well a concert you know it's about 90 minutes to two hours and then you're done what we're going to do is we're going to start about 9 o'clock and play until they start kicking people out. So it'll be like one thirty or 2. And I thought, man, that's even better. Yeah. You know, the more we get to play, the better. Absolutely. But we played, you know, like street dances and then, you know, some bars and things like that in that first group I played in. And then I got out of school and I joined up with a different band that was playing almost 40 weekends a, a year. Mm-hmm. And once I joined that group, I thought, man, I've made it. We're playing all, the, all over the place in Wyoming. And, and yeah, like you said, you know, like the Moose Lodge. And, you bet. And, you know, other places where they probably didn't really want us to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing doing sound check someplace. And, you know, we're just trying to get things dialed in. And there's this old guy sitting at the bar. It's too loud. Yeah, he took <laughs> napkins. And, you know, he didn't, like, break them off into little pieces and stick them in his ear he stuck the whole napkin <laughs> in both ears and sat there at the bar with the meanest look on his face and then he gave us once he got our attention he gave us the thumbs down <laughs> like, okay i think sound checks over <laughs> oh that's hilarious and and it's anybody that's done it you know it's true it's not exaggerated you know it's too loud before you even plug it in <laughs> yeah but what a great experience though i mean yeah. those are great times and great gigs yeah you learn so much too i learned real quick that there's a big difference between practicing in the basement with headphones playing to a stereo or the radio yeah to playing live with a band yeah and there's a little more pressure on a drummer than anybody else in the group because mm-hmm. you know a guitar player can miss a chord but he can find his place real quick or the lead singer might forget the words but the band will just kind of vamp and Mm -hmm. he'll find it out you know but if the drummer starts too quick or too slow or skips a beat there's no like picking it up it's just going to be a train wreck you might as well just start over you know (laughs) and i'm sure it's the same for you but you know when we started playing as kids through headphones we didn't know it at the time but that was the original click track right yeah i mean the record plays and always stays in time and you're playing with it yeah and yeah when you you lose the you know you're naked once you get out there without that uh-huh you know, headphones or the click or whatever and yeah a lot of responsibility it, it is yeah. yeah well you played bass 
No, I grew or, up playing drums. On drum, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that was that was it. Uh, kind of similar path as you played drums and bands growing up, and then started doing a lot more acoustic and singing. You know, in the later years. Did you find that, uh, like starting off drum playing drums mm-hmm. helped? You know, as you then you got the guitar and a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think you know to this day, and I'm you know I'm not an accomplished drummer or guitar player but probably my best strength with guitar remains timing and mm-hmm. i think that's a product of being a drummer i'm guessing you're probably the same yeah it, i think it helped out tremendously mm-hmm. and yeah just having that well like your right hand you know i don't know were you a left-handed drummer nope, i was right okay Cro- traditional cross stick y- yep. right yeah so that right hand is just always doing something and the left one's the muscle yeah you know uh yeah that helped out i think strumming and of course, it took a while. I'm sure with you too to get them calluses oh, yeah. worked up on tips yep. of your finger. But yeah, it sure did. Worth it though. Yeah. Yeah. There's not as much equipment involved now. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Not as much hauling around. <laughs> yeah. Boy, ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. I still go. I got all my drums and in, in cases for the most part. But I got two kids: an eight-year-old boy and a one-year-old girl. And so I got some drums in the basement, kind of laying around the floor. So my daughter, she just crawls around on them, but my my son, he'll go down there and bang on them every once in a while. But yeah. yeah? You think he'll get the bug? Think he'll do it for real? Well, when he was a little younger, maybe he was maybe three years old, I would sit him up on a stool, you know, because I, I would bring him on the road with me and, and just let him have at it. And he had pretty good timing, mm-hmm. you know, that, that rhythm. He could do t- three different things at once, you know, uh, but... Yeah, he's he's got into other things, but who knows? Yeah. Well, let's uh maybe the last segue on your development before we get to you know where you are today. But how old were you? Um, a lot of our listeners won't know. Some of them, even if they know Chris Ledoux, may not know that you ended up you know when his drummer came ill at one point, you got the opportunity to go out, and then you ended up touring with your dad. So, how old were you when that opportunity came up? And what was it like touring with your dad? That's got to be the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it was. It was probably the most magical seven years of my musical career, you know, and it flew by, it seemed like. But, yeah, the way I got into the group, um, K.W. Turnbow, the drummer, he got in a car wreck, and this would have been August of 98. And I had just turned 21, and... And so he he messed his shoulder up pretty bad, and doctors thought he might be out for close to a year. And uh, with the surgery and the physical therapy, he'd have to go through. And and they only had about four or five days until the next concert. And so they were kind of running around trying to find somebody who could fit the part and, and knew the material. And so that's when my dad asked me if I'd like to come out and give it a try. And and for one, I couldn't believe he asked me like you're. You got that much faith in me, you know. Had, had so. you ever dared to dream that that might happen as a as a teenager? Or? Maybe, maybe kind of dreamed about it, but just knowing that he he already had one of the best drummers yeah. on the planet, like there's no replacing that guy. Yeah. But but there I was, you know. I know my my answer was pretty quick, and when he asked me to, <laughs> did you want to come out and give it a try? Yes, I'm your man. Uh, I won't let you down, Dad. Yeah. So I, I said, well, can you write me out like a set list just so I can practice up on what I need to know? Because mm-hmm. otherwise I'm going to take every song, every album that you have and play everything. 
So he hand wrote me. Uh, Which, by the way, is a lot. A lot. Yeah. 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 So I still got this set list that he, he wrote out for me. It's got coffee stains and it's all kind of wrinkled up because I, I slept and ate and brushed my teeth with that thing for the next three <laughs> or four days just trying to get it perfect. And so my first show was in Pocatello, Idaho, September of 98. Scared to death. You know, there's like 13,000 people out there. And I remember his keyboard player, Bobby Jensen, came up behind me, goes, <laughs> tapped me on the shoulder, said, there's a lot of people out there, Ned. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, there is. There's way more than, you know, the KC street dance. <laughs> but it took me, it took me probably four or five shows to, just to calm down yeah you know um and the guys are great they're real patient with me and you know they would pull me aside and you know maybe one or two guys at a time and just say yeah well what you need to work on is your tempo you said you're it's okay but you tend to kind of drag a little bit or you speed up you so, know so you didn't play to a click on stage no uh -uh, it was all just hope for the best right. i guess <laughs> or hope you start the song off where it needs to be instead yeah. of having to speed up and yeah uh, but yeah, eventually it all came, came together. And even though I'd played in a couple of different bands for close to eight years or so before I joined dad, I never became a drummer until I joined Chris Ledoux in the Western underground. Those guys really shaped me into being the best drummer I could be. That is too cool. Yeah. Did your last question on that, did your mom have any trepidations about letting her 21 year old hit the big road? No, she was excited. Because I remember when when Dad asked me, uh, Mom had gone into Casper to get Dad at the airport. And I got the news by a phone call. Mark Sissel called the house and was asking if Dad was home yet. And I said, no, he's, Mom went to get him at the airport. And, and then that's when he told me the news about K-Dub. And in kind of a jokingly way, Mark said, well, maybe your dad will just have you come out and play. I was like, shoot, Mark. He's not going to ask me, right. you know. But then when they pulled up to the house, I ran over there because I was outside hitting golf balls around in the hay meadows, and I ran over and told Dad the news, and and uh, he said, yeah, Mark finally got a hold of me on the, on the cell phone, and I glanced over at Mom, who's in the passenger seat, and she just had this grin on her face. Like she, she knew that Dad was going to ask me something pretty cool, but she didn't say anything. She just had a big smile on her face. And so, yeah, she was, she was pretty excited. That's too cool. Yeah, uh, I have to ask you out of personal curiosity because um, I want to uh, talk about a couple mutual friends of ours and then segue into the most exciting part, which is what you've got going on today. But before I do, um, we love asking this question to people. If you were the, the great desert island scenario, if you're going to be stranded on a desert island and you could take, and for this purposes, we'll, we'll leave your dad's music out of the equation. Outside of that, if you could take the complete musical work of three artists that you would have to live with for the rest of your life, who would be your top three? Boy. It's a tough question. It is. Yeah. Well, at least you included the whole set instead yeah. of one album. Yeah, which is an entirely different question. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that is tough. And if you need to list three or four or five or six, it's just a way to get the flavor of who you loved, you know? Yeah. Um. Well, Tom Petty would probably be one. Mm -hmm. uh, it might sound strange, but uh, uh, well, people are strange. Uh, probably the Doors. I really got into them when I was 
I don't know, early 20s. Yeah. So, yeah, Tom Petty, The Doors, uh, let's see, Tom Waits. Wow. And maybe Cinderella. Yeah. A little hair metal. Yeah. And Motley Crue. I have to, yeah. Yeah. If you grew up around, you and I are six years apart, but if you grew up around our era and you loved drums, it was hard not to be, you know, a fan of the crew. Uh-huh. Tommy Lee was is the biggest thing, you know. Yeah. I actually got to meet him. It's it's cool how music can take you places that no other, I don't know if you want to call it a job, but no other thing could take you all these places. But But anyway, I got to... We played a show in Denver, and this has probably been three years ago, and we were all flying home the next day, and uh, I was in the airport, and it was just busier than than I've ever seen it. You know, security was took forever. Then when you finally got through there, then you go down the escalator, and then you're waiting for the train, and it was just packed full of people, and I just like, man, I'm just going to hang back. I'll take the next one. So I wasn't the only one who did that. I looked to my right. And about 10 feet from me was Tommy Lee. And I was like, holy cow, it's Tommy Lee. Holy crap. Did yeah. you go talk to him? Yeah, I did. Yeah. We ended up getting on the same train together. And I was standing right next to him. And, and he was sitting down. I was standing right there. And, and I was thinking to myself, man, if you don't reach your hand out and shake this guy's hand, it's going to haunt you for the rest <laughs> of your life. You're never going to get this opportunity again. For sure. So, you know, I'm dressed there. You know, I got my hat and boots on, my guitar on my back, and I just reached my hand out. And I said, Tommy, I just want to tell you, you're my favorite drummer, drummer of all time. Motley Crue's great. I just wanted to shake your hand. And he's like, hey, cool, man. Well, thanks. And, you know, well, here, sit down, you know. Oh, wow. And so we visited for about, you know, five minutes or whatever. And he said, are you flying home? I said, yeah. How about you? By the way, we're interrupting podcasters. Oh. We're getting text messages here from mutual friends down in Nashville. Sorry, oh. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But <laughs> yeah, hey, Cliff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cliff Canterbury just yeah. phones in from Nashville. He doesn't even know you're here. Well, shoot. Anyway, I'm sorry, Ned. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, we just visited for a little bit. And and I remember uh, I saw my brother a couple of days later. I said, man, guess who I got to meet? He said, Tommy Lee. Said, wow. Cool. Was he a cool dude? He was really cool. Yeah, oh, and I was man. afraid, you know, you'd. When you run into yep. somebody like that that you've admired for years, and yeah, you know, for me, you know, I kind of patterned my drumming style after him, and you just hope that if you ever get the chance to meet them, that they're cool. Well, and you know what a what a great uh, tie back to that quote I read about your dad from uh, Garth Brooks earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to it and read it again. You know, in light of what you just talked about. His quote about your dad, um, Chris Ledoux, was exactly as our heroes are supposed to be. It's that same sentiment, you know, mm-hmm. when you when you idolize them and you meet them, man, you want them to be cool. Yeah. Because it yeah. sucks if you spend a lifetime idolizing them and they turn out to be an a-hole. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, too cool. Um, I want to, we just talked about one of our mutual friends from Nashville texted in in the middle of this. Um Speaking of that, a couple other mutual friends. I'd be be a shame if I didn't give them a shout out here. Uh, our mutual buddy Michael Hodges helped make this happen. Uh, yeah. He's been a client of mine for a long time and, and has turned into a very close friend as well. And I know he is of yours. And and the great Tim Teague, old Tim, one yeah, of Nashville's best Guitar musicians. Slayer. Yeah, for uh-huh. sure. And uh, 
I know you met him on the road years ago, and um, I started a friendship with him in Nashville a thousand years ago. So special hello to those guys. Um, and, I, man, I want to talk about – I'm just tempted to <laughs> – continue to ask you about you know growing up with your dad and all that music but uh, i want to segue too before we take up too much time into what you're doing now because that's pretty awesome too and um, for listeners out there ned's got uh, i know you released an initial album a shorter four or five song album but then 2017 i think is when sagebrush came out your first you know true traditional full-length album which to our listeners out there, if you get a chance to check it out, it's awesome. Um, if you like music with a story to tell, you know, something very different than today's country, tailgate down, boom, boom, boom stuff, uh, it's awesome. I mean, you can just digest the whole album in a sitting, and it's a great story in every song. Uh, so check it out if you get a chance. And uh, uh, put in my own plug uh some people do and another horse to ride my two favorites yeah. on the album and you co-wrote some people do didn't you uh yeah it was actually i wrote pretty much all of it um i included my little brother will who uh you know travels with us he does all the merch sales and and travel arrangements you know hotels plane flights and all that stuff and and yeah i wrote the song and it's it's funny like every song that I that I wrote on Sagebrush, I know exactly where I was and when I did it and what I was looking at and and yeah, I just wanted to write a song about you know those of us that enjoy living in isolation and yeah, we we enjoy going to town, but you can't wait to get back home too. You know, yeah. just go get what you need and yep. and it's not for everybody you know to live out there amongst you know what might you know some people might call it the nothing, but it's uh the middle of nowhere is somewhere to somebody else you know so so yeah i just really really enjoy that song um and like you said another horse to ride a guy named larry bastian wrote that one and uh you you might know one of his songs that he wrote for garth rodeo oh he wrote that yeah one. yeah that uh, that little song yeah yeah <laughs> but we've had we had uh when western underground was still around and we were looking for songs to record uh seemed like another horse to ride was on the shelf but i don't remember hearing it and then when i was just finishing up sagebrush uh my road manager said well here why don't you take a listen to this larry bastion song it might fit what you're doing and i was like man yeah where has this song been no you doubt know? yeah i just loved it i love a song that creates a vision i mean an actual physical vision in your mind or visuals mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, god that song i mean if you cannot picture and i don't want to give it all away for listeners because they should listen to it and create yeah. their own visions yeah. for that song uh, -huh. uh but if you can't get a picture in your head listening to another horse to ride then then you just don't have the soul of music in yeah there. that's all there is to it well what yeah. when you when you write songs uh, do you typically start with a melody or a lyric um it's it's well i don't know it's hard to describe but sometimes it starts with melody like mm -hmm. uh, brother highway i had this melody and it was only like the second song that i'd written uh we ain't got it all you know that's the one that came from you know, an idea that my dad had that me and Mac McAnally finished. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. In yeah, a too. we got to talk about yeah, Mac. No uh, doubt. But when I after I hung out with Mac, that's when that door of songwriting kind of opened up in my mind. And and I remember I I used to write some poetry when I was younger, and so I opened up this 
old poetry journal type of book and most of it didn't make any sense you know I was like man what was i thinking back in my 20s this don't <laughs> this doesn't even have a rhyme or reason to it but then there's one about traveling and i the road is like a brother and you know we've been through so much together and so i started kind of playing with that and included this melody with it and i had it pretty much done in a couple of days you know I was like shoot i think i just wrote my second song and then from there i think forever a cowboy was the next one and with that song i was just kind of thinking like a sequel to uh can't see him from the road which is a yeah. song my dad oh. he didn't write it you know but he he made it his own sure did and Great so was, song. yeah and i was just kind of thinking along those same lines you know think not and just not thinking just for, for myself but you know my family and the landscape and a lot of my friends who are ranchers and or might rodeo and stuff like that but but yeah it's every song's different you know yeah, it might it start is. with a lyric might start with a melody it might write itself in 15 minutes which happens sometimes but yep. sometimes it takes months do you, do you ever when you get those songs that it does just pour out in 15 minutes do you ever have that because uh, i do it's probably just a lack of confidence as a writer but do you ever have that man if i really finished it in 15 minutes is it really done uh -huh. i mean is it any good or i mean yeah can that be possible and you hear stories of you know merle and hank jr writing songs in 15 minutes mm -hmm. but yeah but, well but, i well i i I guess I consider myself an artist. You know, I I also enjoy painting. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I paint buffalo skulls and steer skulls and things like that. And I'll I got a few hanging up in my house, and and I'll walk by them and I'll look and it's like, yeah, I probably could have done a little better, you know. And sometimes on the songwriting, you listen back through it, and you think, yeah, I probably could have done that one a little bit better. But I spent so much time with every song on Sagebrush that once we got them recorded i look listen back on it now and it's like man i'm pretty proud of that yeah you know of course i had a lot of help from 10 times cma musician of the year mr mac mac and ali too and we're going to get to that matter of fact we're going to get to it right now but i have to share a saying with you and you probably heard it before but it's so true you know if you've ever recorded an album um, or written a song for that matter um songs that you write and albums that you record uh they don't ever really get finished they just get abandoned because yeah. if because if you had the time and you had the money i mean most of us would just we'd tweak them forever you know yeah they're yeah. they're 99.7 percent what you want <laughs> but you could just fester over that yeah, eventually you just gotta yep say okay we're done let it go on to the next one yeah okay well mac McAnally. so a lot of our listeners i mean he he is the consummate guy that the casual fan has probably never heard of, but you've heard him, even if you've never heard of him. Uh, unbelievable songwriter for our country music fans out there. Um, he wrote Old Flame for Alabama, Two Dozen Roses for Shenandoah, All These Years for Sawyer Brown. Um, just a Back where I come song. from. Yeah. Oh, and a ton of stuff for Jimmy Buffett. And he's... Mm -hmm produced everybody and you were just telling me at lunch um, tell our listeners again about passing chet atkins uh for the musician award this is a staggering fact to yeah me. well uh, mac was telling me that the the reason he picked up a guitar and got into music was because of chet atkins mm -hmm. and the 
I guess it's the CMAs, Country Music Awards. They give this award to the musician of the year. And uh, Chet Atkins won that nine years. I don't know if it was nine years in a row. It could have been. Uh, well, Mac tied him last year, having nine. And then this year, he won his 10th. And he said, yeah, you know, Chet's been my hero forever. And so this award means quite a bit to yeah. me, you know. So. Uh Anybody that's listened to country music has probably heard Mac McAnally and just, you know, didn't know it. So, I mean, just an iconic success, producer, writer, musician, uh, and has recorded a lot of his own music, too. How in the world did you get connected with him and get a chance to co-write and work with him? That's that's crazy cool. <laughs> well, he uh, produced the last three albums that my dad put out, and uh, he also wrote Horsepower. And, and the crazy thing about Mac... He's, he's almost like a chameleon. You know, he, he's been playing with Jimmy Buffett for 25 years or more, and they're both Mississippians. You know, I think that's where the connection was. And uh, But, yeah, he can write a song about the beaches and, you know, all that stuff. But then he can write a song about, you know, cowboys and ranching and, and all that stuff too. And But, anyway, the way we got kind of reacquainted was – uh, I think we talked about it earlier. You know, my mom gave me some of these song ideas that my dad started but never did have a chance to finish. And then that's when Mac kind of called and said, well, hey, well, how about we f- try to finish one together, you know? And so I went down to his place. And and also there's a connection. Like my management used to manage dad, and they also managed Toby Keith and Mac McAnally. And so there's always – I mean, everybody – had phone numbers, you know, so how to get in contact with whoever. And so, yeah, I flew down to Nashville at Mac's place, and we sat down together one day and had this idea that we'd both been working on. You know, there wasn't much to it. It was something about I drive a rusted pickup truck with four bald tires, and there's barbed wire in the back, and we just run on hope and dreams. And, uh, you know, there's firewood in the stack. I guess money is all we lack. You know, and it, that was basically all that was there. Yeah. So Mac and I, we we kind of pieced things together thinking, well, I wonder what Dad would have done here, you know. And after we finished it, you know, I'd like to think that Dad would be pretty proud of what we got accomplished. Yeah. Oh, man, what a thrill. That's just yeah. that but, is the coolest thing. But then I went on to, you know, keep writing, and then I had enough songs to make a full album. And – I saw Mac again. I said, well, would you be interested in maybe producing me? And he said, absolutely. He said, yeah, I mean, what do you got? And so I gave him everything that I'd written. He said, well, do you care if I help you with the, some of the phrasing on here? And, and I said, yeah, anything you can suggest, you know, I'm, I, I welcome it. Yeah. So, But being in the studio with him, you know, he brings in these A-list top shelf musicians and on the sagebrush, we had uh, Robbie McNeely on lead guitar, uh, Glenn Worf on bass, Man. and Greg Morrow on drums. And then Mac did everything else. Right. And we also had a percussion player, uh, Eric Darkin, who plays with Buffett as mm-hmm. well on the road, I think. And so, yeah, we just uh, went in there, and we, we talked more about where we are going to eat that day than than any of the music <laughs> it's disgusting how easy they make it look isn't it i know yeah yeah and i would just sit kind of in the corner and listen to them reminisce about 
the old days of playing with you know whoever and i'm just thinking man do i even belong in this same room <laughs> it was just amazing and then mac would stand up as well I guess we better go in there and make some racket, huh? <laughs> and as much as you want to record the music, you kind of just want to sit there for hours and listen yeah. to them. I think the next talk. trip, you know, I'm going to be going down early next month and start my second project. I might bring a little tape recorder and just put it in my pocket and push record. No and doubt. Just record this conversations yeah. behind the scenes. So talking about all those great musicians, um, I always imagined if I, you know, started recording music that you know i would want to play several of the instruments on there or, you know at least the drums and the acoustic and then i went down there and i heard those guys and i said oh for the love of god there's no way do you play some of the instruments on your album or you leave it all to the well actually on the hawk uh yeah we're going to talk about that in a minute too wow yeah well i asked mac well i, I played it for him first and, and i said so yeah this is what i do i mean I guess you can make it better. He goes, actually, why don't you just play the guitar on this one? He said, I'll, I'll play kind of a background piece on it, but I want you to just go ahead and play that lick that you do. And Mark Sissel, my guitar player and road manager, was in there too. He goes, you know, your dad never got to play his guitar on any of his albums. I mean, when he got signed with the deal, you mm -hmm. know, he, he always just had somebody else come in and play. He said, so that's pretty cool. He's letting you. I said, well... I know he could do it better, but right. I think it's just the fact that this is such a a personal song. Maybe yeah. that's why he wants me to play it. But. I would guess that's right. And on that note, um, you know, I mentioned my favorite songs from Sagebrush earlier. Uh, I didn't mention the Hawk, but man, I don't I don't have the words um, for our listeners out there. The Hawk is a song. Uh, the Hawk is a song on the Sagebrush album that Ned wrote about his dad. Um, and you don't have to be a Chris Ledoux fan to know how emotional that song is when you hear it but if you are a chris ledoux fan it's it's even more so and i really want to thank you ned so i had never heard that song and i was listening to it on a southwest flight thursday so i'm sitting in the window seat staring out the window so nobody can see me trying not to bawl like a four-year-old over there uh, that's my that's my whole plan <laughs> but you know and i know you know this um honestly i there is no higher praise in my mind that somebody can give you than to say something that you wrote and they listened to and it did make them cry. I mean, I yeah. think that you could write something that's that emotive and you know, for listeners, I won't say anything more about the song other than go listen to it. Um, yeah. It, that's, and that was one fantastic. of those, that was one of those songs uh, that we kind of talked about that kind of writes itself. Yeah. Cause it's a true story. Um, just to give you a little background on it, uh, my dad used to have these real vivid dreams that he could fly. And he would come downstairs and just be skipping through the kitchen. Man, I was flying last night. It was cool. Say, you boys ever have one of those dreams? And I remember having dreams where I could jump really high, you know, because I played basketball in high school. And I could dunk, but it took everything I had to get it over the rim, you know. But having a dream where you're way above the rim – yeah that was that was the closest i got but uh but then i remember we were driving in the old ranch truck or something going to feed the horses and i think it was dad's way of keeping our attention and so we wouldn't doze off or something and he'd, he'd ask us these kind of random questions like 
if you had to eat the same thing for a week, what would you eat? <laughs> and then he had another one. He said, now, if, if you could be an animal, what would you want to be? And I think I said a grizzly bear or a mountain lion or something. And I asked him the same question. I said, well, if you could be an animal, what would you want to be? And he just kind of looked out the window and said, well, I think it would be kind of cool to be a hawk. And on our ranch in, in just outside of KC, Wyoming, you never see hawks. I mean, they're I mean, but they're everywhere in northeast Kansas. They you know? sure are. But, but on our place, you, you never see them. And then not too long after Dad passed away, this hawk showed up. And my mom first noticed it. You know, she was outside every day, all day long, just doing whatever. And she would walk up to the cattle guard, and she noticed this shadow across the ground. She looked up, and there's a hawk just kind of circling her and, and she'd turn around, walk down to the barn, and come back out, and that hawk was perched up in a tree like it was waiting for her. And then she continued her walk back to the house, and and he followed her the whole way. And so it was like, there's a song. So, yeah. Just, no doubt. Just writing the truth. That just gives me complete goosebumps. <laughs> well, well well done, I guess, is all I can say. That's that's an well, emotive song if if there ever was one. It's very cool. Mm, thank you. Uh well, let's talk about the future. Um it's it's so much fun to talk with you about, you know, the past and your dad and working with Mac McAnally and everything and and the Sagebrush album, you know, isn't even barely more than a year old yet. Um, but let's talk about the future. You're going down, what, week and a half, back down to Nashville yeah, uh, to record the next full-length album. Uh, does that have a title yet? Um, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. Don't, don't give it away too soon, <laughs> yeah. Al- although listeners won't hear this podcast for uh, a few months yet. But anyway, uh, well, what can you tell us about the album? Um more originals, I'm sure. You're also doing some covers, uh, different theme. Maybe if, I'm sure, you know, the more you write, the more you evolve um, changes in your music. Tell us anything you want to share about it. Yeah. Uh, well, if people aren't going to hear this for a while, I'm kind of up in the air, either naming the album uh, Old Fashioned or Next in Line. Oh, wow. Because, uh, yeah, they're both titles of songs. Um, and I was telling <laughs> telling my band i said yeah i might name the album old-fashioned and our drummer said are you gonna just put a picture of the drink on the cover <laughs> and i didn't know what he was talking about i said what is there a drink called old-fashioned well yeah they're really good yeah so no i'm not gonna put a picture of a drink on the cover <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's the song it's about being old-fashioned but then my wife um uh my father-in-law uh Sorry, I'm kind of rambling. But no, no, it's all good. Go ahead. My father-in-law gave me this poem maybe not quite a year ago. And he said, yeah. He said, I'm ju- I was just kind of thinking, you know, you're writing your own stuff. Maybe you could use this and turn it into a song. And so, yeah, I'll sure enough, read it. And I got about halfway through it, and I was like, man, this is great. And it's a song about, you know, like the ranches that have been around for 100 years or you know, 50 years, and, you know, it started a long time ago, and it's been handed down through the generations, and, and you just hope that the next generation finds the interest to carry it on, you know, so it's the next in line, and and it's not for everybody, I guess, I mean, there there's the better jobs are in the city, and the small towns are 
starting to dry up, you know, but <laughs> you but, just, since, but since when has country music been about the better jobs? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a, you know, most of the songs on there will go hand in hand pretty well with the songs that were on Sagebrush. Uh, but I kind of feel like my songwriting is starting to mature a little bit. Um, so there's, there's a couple songs on there that are, you know, I've kind of waded into the deeper end of the pool, you know, and just kind of give you something a little more to think about. Yeah. So. And writing with people always makes you better too. Yeah. Uh, even if they're more, you know, peers as opposed to a, you know, a Dalai Lama like Mac McAnally, <laughs> uh, just anybody, everybody brings a different perspective to songwriting, different strengths and, Co-writing isn't always easy, but I think it does always make you better. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, I got a song on there that uh, Corb Lund and I kind of collaborated on. And for the ones who don't know who Corb Lund is, you need to find that guy. He's great. He's from he's from Alberta, Canada. And his songwriting is so unique. You know, he's got this quirky way of, like, the funny things about being a cowboy or ranching but then there's some stuff that's pretty serious you know too just a a great guy too um and then of course you know mac has helped tremendously on songwriting you know i'll just recently i sent him everything that i've written and and he said yeah i'm gonna go through some of this and he said do you mind if i kind of work on them and i said yeah so you helped me out up to this point i mean i'm not right i'm not gonna back back off now i I need as much help as i can get especially when it's from a guy like that yeah 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 very cool so any idea i know it's always an estimation but um when you think the project might be done done like polished and out the door um target date well the the recording process doesn't take that long right you know when you got some of the best guys doing it and maybe get it done in three days but then that's when, after that, you know, the mixing and the mastering, and then, you know, I got to go get some new pictures taken and right. all that stuff. Uh, so I wish I could just ballpark it for you. You know, I'd like to have it out by the end of the summer, mm-hmm. you know, but that might be wishful thinking. So uh, And listeners can find all your music on all the streaming services, iTunes, mm-hmm. you know, Napster, Spotify, all that stuff. Napster, is that still around? It is. Is it? It's a streaming service. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't have it, but I know it's out there. Okay. Uh, I get a report. I've got my stuff out there on Napster, and I get little data downloads on. So, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. It must be. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Lars Ulrich must have (laughs) straightened them out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're probably a a reformed version of Napster (laughs) after. Lars uh, sued the pants off of it. It probably won't be available on that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, you've got all your stuff out there on. Yeah, all those, and I, yeah. I always tell people that the best place to pick it pick it up is just come to a show because mm-hmm. we got the physical copy there and and like we talked about earlier, you know, when you go to the merch table, it's you can't sign a digital copy. So, yeah. and that's one thing that you know I, I kind of hope that you know these younger kids would maybe find an interest in is go get the physical copy you know because then you know you unwrap it and then the smell of it and you got pictures to look at there's credits you can read through who wrote the song who played on it you know read the thank yous because there's every artist is going to write a big letter 
for the fans you know for you who bought this album say thanks for supporting my music and coming to the shows i mean this wouldn't you know that's what i write yeah all the time it wouldn't be possible without the fans so and you even i mean get even get down for the musician geeks you can get down to what kind of gear they use yeah. on that stuff i mean there's so much the mm-hmm. album jacket album record jacket whatever they call it now that they're yeah making many albums anymore uh almost as much of an experience as the music itself yeah and i i download stuff you know i stream mm-hmm. stuff you know I, I listen to uh you know whatever pandora and i got all my stations that i enjoy listening to mm-hmm. uh but i still got all my cds and hell I, I was just going through some old cassette tapes but i'm not sure if i want to play them because the tape might break <laughs> yeah. have to or you splice them together might get the music that sounds <laughs> 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 I've, yeah. I've dug out some old tapes and had that experience yeah. so i've got to ask you you talk about how fast it goes in the studio and it does i mean it it's crazy how fast you can get 12 songs down um for me my most dreaded moment in the studio on an album project is when it's over yeah, uh, and mm-hmm. I wonder if you have the same, or or, you know, have you been? Has the expectation been so high that you're relieved when it's over? Uh, for me, that's the that's the worst <laughs> moment of the whole experience because it is such a great experience, and I you know once it's done, it's going to be a long time before you're really back there in another project like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's always a little piece of my heart that breaks when when that door shuts for the last time. Yeah, it, well, the songwriting process, you know, it's a weird place to be, <laughs> you know, if you write your own material. Uh, you know, for me, you know, I, I wrote most of these songs that are going to be on the next project. I wrote it or started them when we were on the road. 2018 was just a year to remember. We were everywhere. And I never had, like, an extended time at home to really sit down with these ideas. So I had to finish most of them on the road. Um but then I would bring home like gas receipts that I'd written things down or boarding passes and, and dump them all out on the table when I did have more time at home and pick through stuff that, you know, I thought was pretty good. But then, yeah, after you get things kind of lined out song with the songwriting, then you go in the studio and it's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's over so quick, Yeah. but it's so cool to, to hear these songs come to life. You know, it's, and it's in a way that you wouldn't really expect. Yeah. Like you were hearing something, but it ended up being way better, and yeah. it's a little different than what you expected. Yeah. Because uh, everybody that plays on that song, no matter how good your song is, they're bringing a little piece of their own genius, and they're tacking it onto your song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, it's it's over before you know it, and and then there's a the waiting for getting the master and the it, mix that, and that doesn't that kill you yeah when you're waiting for him to mix it and master it and get you a rough copy that you yeah can, yeah well last on the last album uh mac and the engineer chris stone uh they put together a quick mix tape you know because my manager wanted to hear something and so i was like man mac you only got like a day to kind of rough draft this mix and but he did a great job. I was like, man, that sounds pretty good. He goes, well, I'm not done yet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but it, I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, and I just I always find myself wishing, you know, let's say it's 12 songs on there, you know, in four or five days. 
really, I just find myself wishing I had another 12 songs yeah. to record right then because <laughs> well, it's, it's so much fun. Well, I, when I released an EP before the full album came mm-hmm. out. And the EP for me, um, it just, the way I looked at it is it just gave me more time to finish the songs that were in progress, you know, when, before the EP came out. So it just gave me more time to finish up these other songs. But I remember giving a copy to my mom and she said, man, I love all those songs, but I wish there was more. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, there's going to be. <laughs> and then I gave her the full album and she said, yeah, that's I'm so proud of you. And so to hear your mom, you know, just tell you how proud she is, that's nothing else matters. Yeah. yeah. And thank God for moms. Cause that's right. Nobody's more excited mm-hmm. for your music than your mom. Yeah. That's the, the yeah. gospel truth. Yeah. She's been so supportive through everything. She's been you know, like our coach, our teacher, you know, yes, our mother, but just a great friend too. Yeah. yeah. I want to, uh, one more quick comment about how fast it goes in the studio um the very first album i cut down there um tim teague our mutual buddy he was playing he'd co-written some of the stuff with me and he was playing on the album and we showed up um my producer kevin key who's also a good friend and co-writes a lot of stuff he had i was with him and we showed up and there was tim in the driveway unloading and uh, tim of course he's just i mean what a what a kind soul you know mm-hmm. um this was his 110 billionth studio session and my first, <laughs> but he he knew he was gracious. I think he knew how excited I'd be, and he was, you know, saying whatever. But I'll never forget. Uh, he said, "Well, tell you what, Hoss, don't blink because it's going to be over before it even begins. You won't believe how fast it goes." Yeah, and that's so true. Yeah, and I've I've watched the I got the movie of uh, Rolling Stones, uh, "Sympathy for the Devil," and how long it took those guys to figure out what they were going to do yeah and i i think i watched that before i went into the studio for sagebrush and i was like man i hope it doesn't take that long <laughs> i don't have seven months yeah man. you know keith richards is laying on the floor and his you know no shoes on smoking a cigarette and like, boy that doesn't look like a lot of fun so let me ask you this just curiosity you talk about how supportive your mom is um and mine's the same way <clears throat> I don't know uh, if your mom's, you know, more of a critical ear than mine, but my mom, God love her, she's so sweet. I think I could have gone down there and almost snored in the microphone, and she would have been, you mm-hmm. know, thought that was wonderful because that was her boy. And yeah. my dad, who uh, he's also very supportive, and he said some complimentary things about the music, but not like mom. There's a little more of a genuinely <laughs> critical ear there. I'm curious, what do you think? Do you think your your dad would have been, <clears throat> excuse me, more like our moms and just sort of that unbridled, complete love? Or do you think he would have brought a little more of that kind of discerning ear, um, you know, more restrained praise only for the stuff he really thought was good? What do you think he would have been like? Well, it's funny you asked me that because I had a dream. Um, it was not too long after Sagebrush came out and... Me and Dad were sitting in the in the kitchen, like in the breakfast nook or whatever, and he was kind of leaned over the table, had some headphones on, and he was listening to my album. And he got done listening to uh, Forever a Cowboy, and he took his headphones off and laid them on the table and said, man, that's a good song. I wish I would have recorded that. And 
man, I woke up in the best mood. So oh. I'm thinking that maybe in a spiritual way, maybe that was his way of connecting with me, saying, yeah. good job, son. Very so, cool. So I'd like to think that, you know, he'd be pretty tickled with what I'm doing. Yeah. Because, you know, in a way I'm kind of picking up where he left off and, you know, just to let him know this apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So. Well, and, you know, it's – I certainly – I didn't comment earlier and kind of on purpose about listening to your album and thinking of your dad because I know it's kind of a fine line there. I mean, you certainly embrace your heritage and you're super proud of your dad and his music. But on the other hand, you're also, you know, your own legitimate artist. you got your own independent music. You're doing your own writing now. And, and there's kind of a balance between the two there. So I didn't comment on it earlier, but I will say, you know, in listening to your album – Absolutely, it's got your dad's type of heart and soul all over it. No well, question. Yeah. yeah, and well, during our uh, you know live shows and stuff, um, the crowd's guaranteed to hear some of dad's songs. I yeah. mean, they, they probably wouldn't show up if we didn't play some. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we you know, we it's it's as of right now, it's it's kind of you know split down the middle. You know, like my stuff and then dad's stuff. And I've told a lot of people that if there ever comes a time where I have, you know, five of my own albums out and I can fill a, you know, two-hour show with nothing but Ned Ledoux music, mm-hmm. I'm never going to do that. I'm always going to include, you know, this Cowboy's Hat and Western Skies, which, in my opinion, that's Dad's signature song is Western Skies. So we're always going to do some of Dad's music. Yeah, I'll be darned. Yeah. Uh, I think that's awesome. I think that's totally cool. And so many... People, there's a lot of people in music um, who had parents that were successful, and it is interesting, you know, some of them just embrace it entirely mm-hmm. and constantly, and then some of them can almost be, they can kind of bristle because uh, they don't want to be harnessed to that, and I think it's pretty cool the the how comfortable you are uh, with the skin you wear that is both you and your dad's. Um, like, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, and one thing I'd, and again, this is probably wishful thinking, but I love to get a huge round table and sit with Jacob Dillon, Shooter Jennings, Dion Pride, uh, you know, Tom Petty's kids, uh, just the sons of these legendary musical figures. And, yeah. And just kind of ask them probably the same questions that I've been asked. And yeah. Like, how do they go about doing this, trying to make their own path, you know, but... So if you're open to a suggestion, if that's something you'd really like to experience, you ought to ask Mac. Yeah. I mean, if there's anybody that's got enough connections that he could call mm-hmm. in a chip or two and actually make that happen, yeah, it's probably Mac. And and chances are they'd probably all say, tell you the same thing I've told you. you know, yeah. Just proud to carry on the tradition. Speaking of that, I don't know if you heard um, – Again, for our podcast listeners, this is late January, uh, but I think it was just yesterday, um, Terry Jennings Whalen's son passed away. Really? Yeah. He played in, he was a lot like you. He played in his dad's band for years, and I actually just read his book. He wrote a book about his dad. Just read that a few months ago. And Man, that's too bad. Yeah, it is. How it's old, a shame. How Man, old was he? Not old. Um, maybe in his early 60s at most. Mm, yeah. Yeah, which doesn't seem very Man. old anymore, does no? it? No. Uh-uh. Yeah. Well, let me, you talked about touring earlier and playing some of your dad's music on the road. Um, I assume you'll be touring pretty aggressively once the next album is done in promotion of that. I mean, you tour a lot all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. 
what's the give us a i'll put a shameless plug in for you how can <laughs> listeners find out you got a tour schedule online or anything where folks can find out where you're playing yeah you can go to nedladoo.com and uh, we we do our best to keep up with all the social networks and stuff um as right now i mean there's a lot of empty gaps you know but those are going to be filled in pretty soon because i know like the you know the booking agencies and the managements and every place down there they shut their doors pretty much and go home from christmas to maybe a week after new year's eve you know it's because people need some time off you know right. uh, they can't be on the phone all day long but now they're all back in the office and they're filling up everybody's calendar and and as of right now, everything's kind of scattered out. You know, I think we got 25 to 30 shows booked, but everything's real scattered from now until maybe the end of August. So, and I wish I could tell you where, well, I guess I'll be in Elko, Nevada. That's next week. Uh, but after that, I don't know where I go. <laughs> well, listeners can go to nedledoo.com and, and find it out, but I'm sure you'll be touring more as the album comes out and yeah. more promotion and stuff goes. It's pretty cool. Well, I want to wrap up with this, um, and I could go, man, I could go on and on. Ned. This has been a blast. I've uh, enjoyed it. Uh, my coworkers and some of our listeners always remind me, you know, podcasts are supposed to be 15 minutes long. And, really? And yeah, we just, <laughs> you and I just clipsed over an hour, but that's all right. Well, usually radio interviews want, are like 15 minutes, yeah. and, and you don't hardly get to say anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, I've been, some folks, we had some folks do some research when we started the podcast series, and um 15 minutes is, I think, kind of the sweet spot, and the reason why, uh, that's the average commute. Oh. Yeah, so people can digest a podcast in its entirety on the way to work or on the way home. That's Oh, yeah. At least that's what the social scientists yeah. are, you know. I guess just take a road trip. There yeah. you go. Yeah. I like the sound <laughs> take of that a better. country road. Yeah. So we always, with all our podcast guests, we always wrap up what we call lightning round. It's just a bunch of random questions uh, that you can answer with whatever comes to your mind first. Um, if you weren't playing music for a living, um, and of course your background, you guys were ranchers and everything. If it wasn't music and if it wasn't something ag or you know ranching related, what would Ned Ledoux be doing for a living? I'd probably still be a starving artist. <laughs> <laughs> so if you weren't a successful artist, what you'd be doing is you'd be a starving artist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed, like, you know, painting. You uh -huh. know, I got into painting skulls probably close to 20 years ago. And, and yeah, there, I, there's just something about it. It's just very calming and relaxing. And I don't know how many of them I would ever sell, but... <laughs> That's, I'd probably give it a shot. <laughs> Hence the starving and starving artist. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, so one thing we didn't, I just skipped over here entirely, um, you know, native of Wyoming, but you're a Kansan now and mm -hmm. uh, brought here by love and your, your beautiful wife, which is yeah. so often the case. What is the most um, surprising or impressive thing about Kansas that you've discovered since you moved here uh, that you would not have guessed or didn't know about coming from Wyoming? Well, uh, I guess all my years before I lived here, all I really knew about Kansas was I-70. Mm -hmm. And then uh, where me and my wife got married, uh, which is just outside of Maple Hill, it was this resort. I think it's still going. Uh, I think it was Prairie Fire Guest Ranch or something like that. And my father-in-law, soon-to-be father-in-law, he'd he drove me out there 
I said, man, where are we going? You know, and it's just this back dirt road, and you go under the train tracks, and there's a beautiful little stream, and there's all these trees, and then there's this resort that you would never think was there. And there's all kinds of those places around. And and I got friends that, you know, live in, you know, out west, and I said, man, why do you live in Kansas? And I said, well, have you ever been west of Salina or east of Salina? Well, why would I have to? Why would I want to go that far? And it's like, well, I guess to, to each their own. But but yeah, there's everything about it. I mean, we've been here for about eight years, and I've really fallen in love with it—just the wide open spaces and yeah. the rolling hills of the Flint Hills. And you know, I've got to be a part of you know burning fields and stuff in the spring, and that's always exciting. Uh, yeah, and the people are wonderful. Um, yeah, everything about it. Uh, it tickles my heart to hear is a lifelong Kansan. I think it's a beautiful place, and mm-hmm. and I would put the Kansas people up against anybody. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. It's got a lot of charm. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really does. Well, last question of the podcast. Um, we talked a little bit about your musical heroes and everything, but what uh, if you rewound time? Who were the last? maybe two or three or four or five or six artists that were cycling through your phone on the drive up here or whenever it was the last time you were listening to music? Well, see, last night I was trying to get my little girl to sleep, and we were listening to uh, Cody Johnson, Cody Jenks, uh, Don Edwards, uh, Ryan Bingham, and... I think we might listen to Ned Ledoux, too. <laughs> <laughs> Never miss a chance to market, yeah. my friend. <laughs> yeah, once I turned him on, then then my daughter woke up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. She wants to hear that. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, hey, Ned, I can't thank you enough. What a great time. I've really appreciated well, you making time. Well, this has time. been a lot of fun. Thanks yeah, for having me, Scott. Absolutely. Um, been excited to have you on. It was just a blast. And... Uh, loved your your sagebrush album and excited to hear what comes next and listeners if you haven't checked out ned ledoux yet um hope you'll do so great artist great guy um it's been a blast ned thanks for being here thank you all right bhl listeners thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next time <laughs>